and welcome. I'm Bethan Grills, editor of New Food, and I'm thrilled to introduce our new plant-based focus series led by women. Joining me today is Wendy Van Buren. Wendy works at ADM within its alternative proteins business with a specific focus on plant-based products and specialized nutrition. She is an experienced food industry leader. In fact, every one of her job titles has actually incorporated the word leader in some way. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you. It is a great pleasure to be here and have this discussion with you. And I have to say, indeed, leader has been part of uh, many of my titles. But I have to say, one of my most favorite and and the last is Accelerator. Well, hello and uh, welcome from Amsterdam. I'm in the UK uh, for all our listeners. Um, I am also joined by Mecca Ibrahim um, or Mex, um, the co-founder of Women in Food, an organisation which champions women in this industry and discusses the issues facing females, along with launching this fantastic initiative, Mex also has ample experience in management and was previously head of social and marketing for Great British Chefs. But I have to say her greatest achievement, and she has told me this personally, that is that is not a lie, is her position on the new food advisory board. Hi, Mex. Nice to see you again. Hi, Bethan. Really good to be here. And I'm really looking forward to, um, to be part of the series. It's um, very much an exciting and a growing industry. Um, I'm looking forward to... Um, being part of the panel and seeing what everyone has to say. And before I introduce our next guest, uh, just a little bit about our sponsor, Equinom, uh, where our next guest is actually from. Um, So Equinom is a non-GMO plant tech innovator that is selecting seeds for source ingredients with high potential in the market and supercharging uh, them through natural breeding processes to feed the explosive demand for plant-based nutrition. Uh, leveraging an innovative business model, Equinom supports the entire supply chain and collaborates with top-tier food companies to bring plant-based innovations to market. Finally, I'd like to introduce Sippy Kagan, Equinom's CFO. Sippy is a seasoned financial executive specialising in startups and fast-growing global science and tech companies. She earned her MA in business administration and her BA in accountings and economics. A very impressive person indeed. Welcome, Sippy. Thank you, Bethan and uh, Max and Wendy. It's really a pleasure to be with you on the same panel. I feel honored to be with such impressive and powerful women. So thank you. So uh, we're here to talk about the plant-based market, uh, which is thriving, and it's set to be worth 74.2 billion by 2027. Um, Everyone wants a slice of the action, and testament to that is the number of startups entering this category. So Wendy, how, when, why did you get into this industry? Talk to me. I'll start with why first. I think it's probably a good place to start. So it started 30 plus years. I'm not counting years anymore, but I started my education in pre-med because I really wanted to help people be healthier. But I was really missing the empowered health part of it and more preventative. So I switched my, my focus to nutrition dietetics Um, at the time. And I really always wanted to be part of a movement where there's focus on better health and a better for the earth um, type of movement. And so finally, here we are really in, really in it. Um, I've worked over 30 years uh, in every part of the food industry value chain. And I see now how we really can work together to have an impact. 
As for how and when, this is a little bit uh, of a long uh, career history, but I started off uh, my career at the USDA ARS in wheat agronomics back 30 years ago. It was really about yield improvements and how you can have more yield without you know, impacting negatively performance. So does it make a, a, a loaf of bread or not? And, and, uh, and then really getting more into food manufacturing, really learned so much about ingredient functionality, how things work in food systems, synergies in this. Um, then I went to Cargill Specialty Ingredients, where I really started getting into protein. Protein and a lot of other ingredients, fermentation processes, um, and a number of other things. I had also an opportunity in the U.S. to work at a retailer called Target Corporation at Home Brand Foods. Um, really, that's uh, where the consumer votes. So it was really good to see it from that perspective. Also, um, their speed is life. Their motto was one fast and friendly. <laughs> and so the FFF. Um, I also had an opportunity to lead the development of a new brand called Archer Farms Simply Balance, which is a nutrition-focused brand, really premium nutrition-focused brand. Back in the day, it was very um, you know, inspirational, I have to say. When I really started focusing on the plant-based space was really when I was in Copenhagen with uh, Novozymes, which is an enzyme company. And I was leading the business around plant-based and how do enzymes really function and how can they really improve performance? Things like clean label, looking at um, making things more affordable, improving flavor profiles. These are some of the challenges in plant-based right now and understanding kind of like new and novel technologies and enzymes and how they apply to that. Mm. Then in the COVID times in 2020, I decided to launch into ADM. And I felt like at that point, all of these experiences that I've had in my career, really all the stars aligned. And I felt like I was really in a place that I could make the biggest difference and have the biggest impact working for a company that, you know, with their scale, using their scale, you know, we could really, you know, make an, uh, the biggest impact for good. So that I think is really aligning on purpose um, and ADM's commitment to improving global nutrition, which I really love. And of course, you know, providing access. A lot of startups are in this business right now, looking at how we solve challenges together and yeah, succeeding in this very fast paced plant-based world. So that's the how. Wonderful. So Max, what about you? Um, what can you tell us about, about your journey? It sounds very philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> My journey, okay. Um, well, I've, I've, I've always worked in marketing. So I've had a, a, a very long career in marketing. Um, I started um pre the internet so it's 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 hard to imagine isn't it starting to work before the internet when when like a fax machine was kind of like novel and high technology and we had cd roms and all sorts of things like that so so to 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 move from a career pre internet to something where we are now which is just like crazy is 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 amazing um but um i my career in marketing started um in um I worked for some. Um, um, I worked for Fujifilm at one stage, actually. So, for, so for the photographic film industry, I worked in book publishing, and in startups. Um, so, and mostly internet startups. So, I suppose that's where um, the link is where I am now. But even though I've loved cooking and eating, I never actually thought that I would end up working in the food industry itself. And it's quite weird how I got there because I I, I used to run a blog. Um, about the London Underground of all places. Literally, I started it, I think, in 2000 and, oh my goodness, three, I think, or 
or you know really when blogging was at its infancy um and um i met a lot of london bloggers while i was doing that um that hobby because I was, I was working full-time at the time and so I spent a lot of time on the blog and I loved eating and I loved watching food shows and I wondered whether it'd be fun to start like a master chef for bloggers and at the time bloggers were more like restaurant reviewers rather than how they are now i.e., content producers so they're producing things they're producing recipes they're they're doing much more than reviews so we thought it'd be interesting to see whether the bloggers could actually put their money where their mouth is and, and do cooking. So I, I got in touch with um, a cookery school um, called Cookery School at Little Portland Street, who I still do some work for now, actually, um, back in 2008. And we started this um, bloggers competition called Nom Nom Nom. Um, and it ran for five years. Um, we were raising money for um, a food um, charity called Action Against Hunger. And it's basically from there... Um, that I thought, oh, it would be actually quite nice to have food as a career. And, and through that role and through my experience with that and with marketing, I got a job um, um, as um, one of the first members of staff at Great British Chefs, which is um, uh, world's, well, the UK's fastest growing food website. And I began there in 2011, which is just literally when we launched and I was there until 2019. So, um, so yeah, so they're quite a long time. And then I um, started Women in the Food Industry. So, so yeah, so basically from blogging about the tube is how I got to where I am now. <laughs> I, I, I'm so glad I know this now. <laughs> okay, Sippy, um, first of all, I... So sorry, I forgot to say, where where are you dialing in from to start with? I'm based in Israel, in fact, not too far from Tel Aviv, uh, 20 uh, miles away from Tel Aviv. And uh, the weather is amazing. Uh, Very hot, I must admit, but I love it. I prefer hot weather anytime over cold weather. So Israel is the best. I am totally with you there. Um, And I I will shortly move to Israel now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... um, Tell us, you know, how did you come into this sector? So, in fact, I've been a CFO for the past 21 years. And um, this is my first time in this uh, sector. Uh, the way I got to it is basically through the shareholders. One of the major shareholders in uh, Equinom is Fortissimo Capital. And they knew me for my previous uh, position that uh, was the closest thing to Agritech, which was Afimilk, uh, dairy farming. But it's still completely uh, different, obviously, to uh, be in agritech and uh, plant-based food and in uh, dairy farming. And uh, I find this sector fascinating. And, and, you know, Equinom is an amazing company. So it's really, I feel privileged to be now part of this uh, sector with this great vision. I also, uh, you know, Wendy talked about it and, uh, you know, feeding uh, the world, taking care of nutrition, sustainable, affordable uh, solutions. So Everyone knows, as you mentioned uh, before, that that's where the world is heading. And this is why we see more and more startup companies, new companies and, you know, the existing companies investing so much money uh, into this uh, industry and solutions. Uh, So this is great. And uh, it's uh, wonderful now to be part of this uh, journey. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay, let's talk COVID. Um, Wendy, how did your team adapt to covid restrictions and and you know how did you overcome some of the, the real challenges it presented yeah i have to say it was a huge shift um, and a very difficult time for the team i think 
for me personally, I mean, I moved during COVID to a city and, you know, that alone is difficult to meet colleagues and feel like you're networked into it. But I think for, you know, for the team, we're used to um, and, and have this belief that if you're sitting with somebody that you're going to be able to have um, more trust and get things done better and faster. And so now we're on a completely, you know, virtual platform, which makes it difficult to integrate or, you know, really to have conversations with customers the way that we wanted to and really you know, move things forward. Mm. But I was actually, I'm super surprised, actually, that in the year we got so much done, more than I ever imagined. And we had to learn new ways of doing things like the virtual platforms are on, like we, we would host uh, virtual innovation sessions with some cool new tools. And, you know, we really had to get ourselves out of our comfort zone a lot of the time. Um, things like, you know, plant production, how do we actually, how can we go there and help troubleshoot things? It's all virtual. So we know we have to use different tools for that as well. One of the hardest things to do though, in this space, it's all about food, right? So food is about eating, consuming, experiencing, you know, really sharing this experience. And then, you know, co-creating in it as well. How do you do that when everything is virtual? So we, you know, we did things like we would send uh, food products out to our colleagues and customers, and then we would have a virtual tasting session together. So it was at least something that we could do and say, okay, so, all right, everyone open this package and we're going to try this milk out. And, you know, what is your feedback on XYZ? And I think it, it, it worked and we learned some new things, uh, you know, doing this. The other thing I think for the food industry also is, is the supply chain nightmare in some cases and, and trying to get things from X you know, to you know, another area. And so I think you know, really working diligently and ADM working diligently to keep operations going you know, really around the world. That's a challenging, uh, challenging thing. But I think the virtual platform, we learned some new things for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I imagine, I, I, you know, I think that a lot of people had to really quickly pivot and um and also i think quite a few people were surprised by how much they, they did achieve um just thank goodness that we are in a, a society where we have the ability to to communicate um via the internet and um and you know we aren't we aren't relying mechs on fax machines <laughs> okay <laughs> sippy what what about equinom how has this pandemic impacted you guys so obviously the main issue is the travel, as uh, Wendy mentioned, and uh, it's internally and externally. I mean, externally is when you uh, talk about uh, customers, and, and we're a young company, and we're in a building relationships with new uh, CPGs and ingredient companies, and uh, as good as Zoom can get, still there's nothing like face-to-face -face meeting to kick off the relationship, and you know this interpersonal kind of uh, uh, relationship that uh, you need uh, and the trust and you know, it's 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 not the same. So uh, obviously, that slowed down the uh, uh, this kind of uh, progress that we could make with uh, new uh, uh, connections and and uh, partnerships. Still, we were able to to get it done because uh, people were more available. I mean, you're at home working; you don't even to, you have to uh, change from your PJ in the morning. Just uh, you know, you get it in the morning and you get on a computer, and uh, and uh, uh, it's much more efficient. So on one hand. You know, you miss this face-to-face uh, -face meetings, but on the other hand, it's easier to get uh, people on uh, on meetings because they're available. I mean, they don't they don't have any travel time. They don't have uh, you know the colleagues chit chat at the office. They're available for uh, Zoom meetings. So uh, that was you know sort of the upside and downside with the customers. But also, 
internally, I mean, we're an international company. We have the Israeli site, which is mainly R&D. We have the U.S. operations, which is uh, mainly the sales and marketing. And, you know, sometimes you want to meet your colleagues, just, uh, you know, just to sit with them over coffee. There's something that, about uh, the informal kind of relationship that uh, also, uh, you know, generates new ideas and you can uh, brainstorm, uh, which is uh, different than uh, doing it on, uh, again, Zoom. So that's something that, uh, again, uh, felt that uh, we wish we had that. It, it's, I would not say that had an adverse effect on uh, Equinom, but still, I'm really looking forward to uh, this uh, COVID to be uh, behind us. It will be much better for, for the business. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we're going to definitely, we'll, we'll start to see a hybrid, hybrid approach, though. I think um, there's going to be a mixture of kind of uh, with, the, with the kind of physical in person. What I am really eager to see is whether people walk out of meetings and wave, because I don't know about you, but every time I end a meeting on Zoom, I wave now. <laughs> I, I want to know whether this habit sticks. Okay, so um, I, I want to explore, you know, what your company now looks like or, or will look like. Post-COVID. Yeah, I think we're starting now to see some some shifts back into the office. People are more and more people are coming into the office. And uh, and I'm gonna miss some of my colleagues' calls from their home because I get to meet their family and their dog and you know, like really feel like it's part of it. But now people are coming back more now. And I still I think it will be, like you say, I think it will be somewhat of a mix. I think there'll be more flexibility and people will also be more conscientious of when is it really needed to travel? When is it, you know, appropriate to do it virtually? I think we'll, we'll be looking at things differently. Yeah, absolutely. So same question to you. What will the company look like as we start to uh, reemerge from, you know, the other side of, of COVID? Mm-hmm. So uh, in Israel, since uh, we're a small company, we're very flexible about, you know, coming to the office or working from home. We didn't have, you know, strict rules about it. And I believe, you know, since COVID is not going to go away anytime soon, uh, it's going to continue this way. Whoever can come to the office and work at the office, it's always nice to get them in the morning and, you know, meet the people. And But some people, unfortunately, have little kids and they have to uh, be uh, to stay home and take care of them. And uh, uh, and we allow them to do that and just uh, work from from home and as, as Wendy uh, mentioned you just uh, uh, we realize that it's uh, you can manage with less travel so I think that uh, also in Equino we'll be more conscious about when we need to, to uh, travel when it's exactly necessary when we can uh, just uh, you know do it on, on Zoom uh, but I don't see a drastic change you know in the way that Equinom uh, operates uh, post-COVID. Okay. Okay, let's let's go focus on on the plant based industry now. So, Mex, you know, this is a a rapidly changing sector. What are some of the emerging trends that you've seen? Well, obviously, people are so really concerned about their health more than ever at the moment, and um, we I've certainly seen a lot more um, searches around around plant based food and how plant based relates to your health. And also, particularly, it's not even just about physical health anymore. It's about mental health. There are there are quite a lot of searches relating to food and to mental health. And there is some information from from Peter, which actually suggests that vegans and vegetarians have a sort of like a happier and a better mood profile than meat eaters. Wow. So people are becoming much more, I think, aware of that and also um, aware of um, how what they eat 
affects the climate and affects the planet. We've all been watching a lot more TV and things like that. And obviously, Seaspiracy has had an, a, a massive... I mean, I know it's not necessarily affecting plant-based food per se, but it is talking about eating less meat and it is talking about um, how how we're very aware of where our foods where our food's coming from and where, you know, sustainability in terms of fishing and and mm. people are very, very much aware of th- that you are what you eat. Um, and also that is transforming in, into spend. So thanks to um, coronavirus obviously there's been a huge increase in in home cooking kits and takeaways and things like that so gusto and hello fresh have you know really really survived and um growing massively as a result but also restaurants are now launching um recipe kits as well and they're not ignoring plant-based menus because they are very much aware that Mm -hmm. people people do want to invest time in, in what they're eating and then what they're putting into their body. And they are being much more experimental. Mm. Um, they're cooking new cuisines. Um, but that also means, I think, that they're, they're being aware of where their food comes from and the ingredients. And so they're not necessarily, they might be looking now more for more natural plant-based items um, rather than the sort of mock meats and, and things like that. Um, mm. So we're definitely seeing an increase in, in that. But there's also an increase in things like the, the mock meats and the, um, the, the Seatons and that we're seeing every restaurant chain now yeah. is launching their own sorts of um, plant-based burgers or plant-based sandwiches or plant-based main meals. Oh yeah, totally. that, yeah. There's definitely an opportunity, I think, for brands to cut through um, the, the 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 interest that people have in in the plant-based world and to help to sort of like um, get rid of a lot of the confusion around it because there's so much information about it. It's like how do we process all of this information that's coming through? And I think I think brands like you know the, the lovely ladies that are working we're speaking to today can help us to understand what is going into our plant based meals and whether a more natural um, route is is the way to go or not. Absolutely. I mean, Wendy, you mentioned clean label at the start of this discussion. What, what are your What are your thoughts? Do you have anything to add to what Mex is saying there? Yeah, no, I was just going to add on to that, actually, because I think, you know, we talk about um, access and people wanting to really get into plant-based and make it accessible to them when, they're, when they've been traditionally meat eaters. So how do you make that bridge? So I think that's, that's really where these meat mimicking, um, you know, products are doing. They're trying to help bridge and bring people along in the journey. And I think, you know, the, I think I call it like the 1.0 version of these, where they're just mimicking what's, uh, you know, like the meat version of it. And clean label is one of the things that we're really trying to work on. How, of course, improve nutrition and clean label, and uh, and really making it something that's tasting delicious because it has to, right? So, mm-hmm. clean label. If you think about some of these. Um, plants, let's say plant-based meat products, burgers that are out in the market, for instance, they have 20, 22 ingredients in them. Mm. And so you think about one, that's a lot of different ingredients. And, and, you know, us in the food industry, we're like, yeah, that makes sense. This is functional in this way and that's that way. But from a consumer standpoint, they, I think the, the, you know, fewer ingredients on the label, the more recognized the ingredients are, the, associating with wholesomeness, I think these are things that we're moving toward and, mm-hmm. and it's getting better. So we're getting into now the 2.0 versions. Um, I see, 
Yeah. And so we're really exploring like a range of options, you know, that really help them, you know, meet the needs of this growing demand that we see and, and people are shifting. So we need to, I think there's a, a, also a sense of urgency to get there faster. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Sippy, from, from a personal standpoint, how has Equinom had to adapt um, in this fast paced sector? So the nice thing about Equinom is that it recognized the uh, strength early on when the company started in 2012. I mean, we're a plant-based uh, company. It all starts with the seed and we're breeding uh, uh, for uh, crops that are you know, basically feeding the industry. So already, for example, in 2018, Equinom signed uh, a strategic uh, agreement with uh, Roquette, which is the leading ingredient company in uh, Europe. And, uh, you know, before everyone talked about uh, everyone uh, just, you know, mentioned soy and that was the uh, leading uh, uh, plant-based, you know, alternative uh, crop. And now everyone is saying, you know, there are advantages, but also disadvantages and we need to find other alternatives. Uh, And we're already there. So uh, we have the technology and we have the knowledge and uh, we will just keep expanding to other crops, other solutions to really uh, address those uh, customers' uh, consumer needs. I, I want to add one more thing to what uh, Wendy and Max were saying, discussing yeah. clean label, is that the young consumers, what we see is that beyond, you know, caring about nutrition and healthy and sustainable food, they also care where it comes from. They, uh, they, What is the agenda behind the companies who produce the food? So this is something that, you know, uh, is, is a big change. And I, I think, you know, it's uh, the younger generation that, uh, Bethan, probably you're the one who represents this uh, generation among us. Uh, and it's it, it's very nice. So I think this is part of the, of the trend that, uh, you know, nutritious, uh, healthy, but also the agenda behind those companies, what they're uh, promoting. Oh, absolutely. I think it's gaining momentum, and I think in the, in the you know the the years to come, we'll, we'll you know quite shortly, maybe in the next five years, we'll start to really see it come into its own. On the topic of the future, you know, um, Wendy, as much more of an expert on this topic than than I, where do you think the plant based uh, category is heading, and you know what is in store for us? Well, maybe just a few numbers. I mean, from a protein ingredient standpoint, we can talk a little bit about diversification too, but this is growing 12% in the next 10 years and plant-based meat is 16% growth rate. So these are huge numbers for the food industry to consider. And to your point, diversification is really key and needed um, in the in the plant protein category and the plant-based food uh, as well, as well as next-gen proteins. So we're looking at, you know, again, there's a lot of different plant-based uh, proteins out there that we're um, investing in and, and working with. You know, how can we make them better and more wholesome? We're also looking at the next gen proteins that are going to be delivering more of a sustainable value proposition, mm-hmm. looking at fermentation, looking at, um, you know, precision fermentation is one and, um, and, and other things that are really looking at where we produce something is where it is consumed. So, I mean, there are a lot of different ways of thinking about it, but diversification is certainly key you know, from, a, uh, from a carbon footprint standpoint. Um, yeah, so that's one way of delivering protein sources. And also, I think it's important to note that fermentation technologies like air protein, for instance, that we're investing yeah. in, enable protein production anywhere in the world. So you think about countries that are, are really uh, land-constrained countries that are really dependent on, you know, 
uh, heavily on imports, you know, to meet those protein needs. So th these types of technologies are going to be super enabling and also thinking again about, um, we, but the, the fact is we need all of it. We need plant-based, we need diversification in plant, we need new technologies to meet the growing demand um, for sure. Sippy, what, what are your thoughts? Uh, the truth is that I completely agree with Wendy. I don't think that I have uh, much to add. I, I really feel privileged now to be part of a company that is, uh, is like, I feel is uh, part of the major solution and it, where it all starts. You know, all starts with a seed that can, uh, uh, Wendy mentioned before, less ingredients uh, on the label. I mean, if you can bring a seed that has uh, a more protein, more nutritious, and you don't have to uh, do a lot of uh, processing, so you can save a lot of uh, lines on, on the, uh, basically, on the product uh, itself uh, in terms of the processing uh, later on. So this is the uh, yeah. way I see yeah. the market heading. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, I mean, this is obviously a very exciting sector. As a result, we're seeing, you know, a lot of people enter this category. You guys, your leaders, you know, what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a, a career in leadership? You know, because th there's going to be loads of people that are saying, wow, I really want to get into this, but I, I don't know where to start. Mex, let's start with you. What's your advice? Um, I also think it's really good to speak to other people in the industries that you're you're keen on, and and actually you'd be surprised at how how willing people are to give give their time if you if you set them like a sort of a little goal. So I would say speak. One of the one of the things is to speak to other leaders. Is to is to is to get help and just say, look, I really admire what you 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 are doing. Um, would you spare thir literally just thirty minutes with me to to have a chat and think of some questions you know in advance and be really really focused with what you want to ask so that you don't end up wasting their time and that you do just literally spend thirty minutes with them. Obviously, there are things like uh, leadership workshops um, that, that one can take as well. So um, I have um, um, a coach who's called Lynn Blades, and she runs this amazing leadership um, workshops. And often she says to ourselves that we should actually, you know, kind of ask ourselves what leadership is, because it might not necessarily, it's not always necessarily about being a manager or, you know, having lots of people follow you. And she um, has come up with this, um, she's found this brilliant quote from Dolly Parton, of all people, who you wouldn't necessarily think of as a leader. But Dolly Parton, so Dolly says, um, if your actions create a legacy that inspires others to dream more, to learn more, do more and become more, then you're an excellent leader. So um, it's just something, a nice thing to take away is that you, you, you think about getting people to, to dream and behave differently. It's not necessarily mm -hmm. just about management and propelling yourself forward. It's about getting people to just behave slightly differently and, and, and dream differently. Mm -hmm. like that that's a, that's a lo lovely quote. And who would have thought a, a great singer and, uh, and, and, a, and a wordsmith? I um, know. <laughs> Okay, so um, Wendy, as a leader in this sector, what would you say has helped you get to where you are? Are there any resources, for example, which you've particularly relied upon? Well, maybe before I get there, I'm just going to agree so wholeheartedly next on this thought leadership part of it too. We think about thought leadership, and I think it's also about connecting to your purpose and knowing 
knowing what you want. And then I get to strengths. I'm a huge believer in, in playing to your strengths, knowing what they are. So, I mean, it's a, one of the things that when I'm coaching, um, you know, people in their careers, I have them look at, you know, what are their strengths? And StrengthsFinder 2.0 is one uh, resource that I've always kind of gone to. People take this psychometric test and they understand what their top five strengths are. And it's not necessarily pointing to a specific role or a specific career, but what it does is say, these are the things that you're good at. And then, you know, kind of directionally where you, you know, where you, and it's always also about where you are, where things are easy, where things are fun. These are, you know, usually areas of strength for you. So I think that's a good thing. Another um, thing that I, from a resource standpoint that I also love is jobs to be done. Um, Anthony Olwick has developed this some time ago, actually, and this is really um, more of a behavioral study of why consumers choose what they do. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's basically really understanding the root why of why hire, for instance, a plant-based burger. So I think in a sense, this is not necessarily leading to leadership necessarily, but it's also about a framework of, of how you think about things. And uh, yeah, so I think some of those resources, I, I think reading a lot, always learning, being curious, being hungry, knowing that things are not always perfect. You know, I think being okay with, you know, it, not every day is going to be stellar day. You know, it's, it's just uh, the way it is. So I think taking some of that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think as, you know, as a, a leader, you also have to, you have to be okay, okay with the fact that you know, you you don't you won't know everything. I think that's a really important thing that you you every day. You know, you, you should be learning something new. Um, and and I think that that is you know what what makes a great leader is also someone that's a great listener. Yes. Um, so may I add? May I add? Sorry, just yeah, one more thing because I think it's super important. Also, coming from a perspective of your intent is to help others be successful. And I think to me, that is a, that was life-changing for me. When I stopped thinking about my own career, of course, we think about our careers, but when my objective became, I'm not, I'm not sitting in a, in a meeting room to you know, push my agenda, it's actually to help people be successful. And that changes everything. Mm, yeah, I think, that, I think that's a really nice way of looking at it. And, 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 you know, is there anyone that you look to as a as a role model in in leadership you know that that kind of possess these these qualities that you're describing uh, absolutely I mean I've been um, so lucky to have so many role models actually in my career and there's too many I can't even name them or leave somebody out and I will feel bad but I have I think early in my career I had of course starting off new there are people that have 30 been in the industry 30 40 years and somehow they take me under their wing and they teach me so many things, life lessons and, you know, insights into the food industry that I really appreciate and use, you know, in my career. Um, I had one manager in particular in my career that is the kind of person who's such a good coach, asking the right questions, um, not telling you the answer, but making you kind of lead yourself to it. And I think these kind of coaches are so key in really looking like Nexa, Nexa to look for these uh, role models. Mm. and really reach out to them people want to help you just need to ask them for it yeah yeah Max same question to you is there anyone that you've been really inspired by um I think one of my she's she's not necessarily not plant-based but um is um Asma Khan of Darjeeling Express um so um for those who don't know her she was um I think she was the first um British chef to be on Netflix's The Chef's Table, which is that massive um, series on Netflix, which, is, which has been sort of fairly 
um, American focus for, for for quite a while, but then it reached out into into Europe and other parts of the world. But yeah, asthma um, is is a great inspiration. Um, and in her kitchen, she um, she literally only has women who work in her kitchen. She hasn't got the whole the whole company isn't just women, but you know, front of house. Or she has men and she has male managers. But in her kitchen, she has she has women, and she's a great role model, I think, for people who want to change their careers because she got into the industry um relatively late um for 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 a cook and for for someone who's now a restaurateur um in life she didn't start when she was 16 or 17 which is what a lot of great cooks do now she started uh, much later in life and all of her the women that she has in her kitchen are all in their late 40s and 50s so she's a great she's a great role model for showing that you can you know life life can begin at 40 even 50 you can you can change things um, she really bangs the drama, I think, as well for women in the industry. And um, I think what she's been doing is, has, has meant that we're slowly beginning to see in the hospitality world a number of great kitchens, actually, maybe not employing only women in the kitchen, but at least having more sort of equal numbers. There are, but there are, I am seeing a growth, you know, very slowly of purely female kitchens as well and I think that's all been started really by the work that asthma's been doing. A couple of last questions um let's talk about misconceptions around your profession or field um you know take this opportunity to debunk them now you know what are the most common um myths that are that surround your your field Wendy? Well I, I think there are probably a number of myths if you go one step back to where we're talking about clean label for instance there are some ingredients that are absolutely you know wholesome ingredients they are made by fermentation supernatural but because they start with an x it's something that's unknown to consumers like xanthan gum is one of them um, so it's these things that we deal with in the food industry is, you know, there are things that are absolutely natural, absolutely wholesome, made sustainably, but the consumer perception is different. So I think that's some things that we, that we really, um, you know, deal with. I think if we focus on healthy earth and healthy food, diversification, you know, this can really have the biggest impact. So, and there are some battles we choose to fight and some that we don't, let's say. Yeah, I think that's a that's a, a really good sentiment. Mex, uh, what about you? Uh, misconceptions. I think um, I mean, hospitality is having a tough time at the moment. It re- it really is because of 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 COVID. Um, but I think even before COVID, people I think tend to feel that the hospitality industry is is very hard and tough, and that you have to be very hard and tough to survive mm-hmm. in it. You know, if, if you watch things like. Um, Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. You would you would you would think that you you had to have like literally balls of steel, and you you know you 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 have to be like really know exactly what you're doing all the time, and and um, be like a super person. And I don't I don't think that you do. I mean, obviously you have to be strong, but you don't need to be as hard, I think, or as tough um, to to run kitchens and to run good businesses as um i think people um do make out and i think there are a lot of feminine qualities which are really valuable to to lots of industries you know i think what you were saying earlier about when you were saying about being you know being a good listener to be a leader i think that's really important and you get the impression there are certain people that lead but never really listen um and that seems to be quite (laughs) quite apparent within the food food world so i would definitely say that um the industry is probably not you don't need to be as hard and as tough as 
you would think to survive and to do yeah, well in the yeah. industry yeah okay well we're coming to uh, a wrap now but before we conclude um i'd like to ask you all what is the one thing you wish you'd known before you begun your career and sippy i'm, I'm going to come to you what's your advice so the one thing is uh, that uh, I wish I knew that at the end of the day, it's all about the people. Uh, it's not about the industry. Sorry, guys and ladies uh, that you uh, work in, um, you know, and not about, you know, the title, but it's really about the people uh, who inspire you, where you work, that uh, enable you to do uh, what you're good at. And I think that it goes back to, you know, the leadership uh, thing that, you uh, if you find the right place with the right uh, people, so you'll just, uh, everything will come uh, naturally after that. So I think if I'm, I knew that, I would be in the agritech uh, much earlier in my career. Somehow I think that the people in agritech are so nice, so great, so down to earth. So uh, I feel that uh, I'm glad that at least now I'm uh, getting this uh, really uh, privilege of uh, working in, uh, in agritech. But this is... Uh, this is the, this is really the one uh, advice I would give uh, anyone. The due diligence that you should do when you start a career is about the people that you're going to work with. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Max, coming to you next. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, people, it's it really is about people and to work with people that you enjoy working with because you're going to be spending a lot of time <laughs> working with those people, probably spend more time with them in the, in the day than you do with your you know, with your family and your friends. So you, you've, you've got to like who, who you work with very much. Um, I would say as well that um, one thing, obviously um, the the covid has taught us one thing it's probably things like about the joy of the joy of pivoting i think people had a lot of time on their hands recently and that has led them to rethink their careers and so i would say that it's it's never too late to rethink a career it's never it's never too late to to change what you're going to do because you you can always learn and people are learning and and pivoting in ways that they would never have dreamed of there are just so mm. many different industries and different um you know cottage industries that we're seeing we're seeing things coming out from people being furloughed or being made redundant unfortunately it's forcing them to, to do things differently and um that do things differently is is kind of like um a, a mantra that i wish i'd probably known earlier and and also um uh, uh, you know what, what startups do as well really well is they they fail fast and they kind of forget about it and go on to the go on to the next thing. It's, 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 you can get very hung up on your failures, mm. and the best thing to do is to kind of like think, okay, yeah, I failed at that, and let's let's put it away. Let's what did what what did I learn from that? Rather than just mulling on that and thinking, oh my god, I'm such a failure because of that. Um, and you know, there are there are there are there are only failures if you, if you if you if you don't learn from them. Wendy. Um... What, what is your advice? What is the one thing that you wish you'd known before you, you began this career? Well, I couldn't agree more about the people um, aspect of it and culture and also the fact that you have a huge impact on that culture. It's, you know, a company is made up of people and you have a huge role in that culture and creating that culture. It's not always about leadership, you know, and, you know, it's, it's the company is you. And I think people need to remember that. And I would say, I would say, if I've learned anything, it's 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 not just about what you do that's important, but how you do it. Mm. Really, some 
wonderful advice there and I'm feeling very inspired and hopefully um, any budding plant-based innovators um, are as well. Thank you so much again uh, to my lovely, lovely guests for joining me and you, of course, listeners. Um, Remember, this is the first in an exciting series entirely focused on plant-based and led by women. Um, I am really, really just thrilled to start this um this podcast and um once again thank you so much um you've all been wonderful and and such a font of knowledge thank you thank you right we'll, we'll be back again um stay tuned and uh take care in the meantime goodbye 